Welcome to the show, Tim Downey, everybody. You may know him as Gail from Boulder's Gate 3, mate. It is an absolute pleasure and honor. How are you? Very well, my friend. Very, very well. Yeah, it's, uh, what is it, Sunday morning here in Ottawa. Um, I've been on night shoots, so I'm a little bit, I don't know what day it is. I literally don't know what day it is. Could be Saturday, could be Sunday. Who cares? In one respect, who knows? What What's a night shoot like? Talk us through that as an actor, a night shoot. What are we talking in terms of how it's all operating? Oh, it's, it's something we all live in dread of. You will um, spend... <laughs> Because they'll they'll work it on a split day, so you'll do a full a full normal day the day before, and then they've got to give you I think it's twelve hours off. So you'll finish on like Monday evening, and then sort of Tuesday evening at about seven o'clock at night will be the beginning part of your day. So then, but they'll structure it like it's a normal day. So you will get to work at seven o'clock in the evening. They'll say, "So what do you want for breakfast?" Which just completely throws you because <laughs> everything is the same, but it's dark. It's completely dark, and it's seven o'clock at night. And then you will work through all the way through till um, till sunup, which is about seven o'clock in the morning. So you'll do a full full night, which is quite heavy. <laughs> One is all right, but then we've done a week of them. So it's like, oh, my God. So are you a morning or night person usually? You, you know what? I think when I was younger, I was a night owl, real mm. night owl. And then as I've got older, I've become much more of a morning person. I think kids also do that to you. They force <laughs> you to do that. You don't really have a choice in the matter. So I will suddenly find myself like at six o'clock in the morning going, well, I'm wide awake now. So, which is then not good when you're doing a night shoot because I will wear and wake up at six or seven in the morning going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Go back to bed this instant. But you can't bring them with you for these trips, can you? You're, I'm guessing you're missing them at the moment. Yeah, very, very much. I really am yeah. missing them. Um, but no, it's not. It's not great because you know, fun. You're like, oh yeah, let's come to Canada. Yeah, it'd be great. But Dad's still got to get up at like five o'clock in the morning and go to work. So the fun of oh, we're in Canada. Well, off you go. You go and you go and amuse yourself in a city you don't know where anything is and have no idea how the transport system works. <laughs> and I'm going to go and then come back probably when you're in bed. So, yeah, it's uh, their best. They're best at home with uh, with their friends and everything, and knowing what they're doing. Are you allowed to say what for? What you're in Canada for? Yeah, it's um, yeah, Netflix series called Geek Girl, um, which is based on a series of books, young adult books by Holly Smale, and uh, yes, yeah, so I play Holly's uh, dad. I've reached that part of my casting, Dan. Wow! Oh now- no. You're in the next now phase the of your career. <laughs> next phase. When that when that little, yeah, when that ticks over, you go, ah, I'm here now. I see. I see. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but it's, it's it's great. It's a really lovely cast, great crew. Um, and the story is, uh, it's all modern day, which is quite unique for me because yeah. usually I'm in just ye olde costumes. Oh, yeah. Even with Baldur's Gate, it's not exactly jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> so you get used to uh, you get used to that. Um, but it's lovely, yeah. So it's always about Harriet Manners, um, who um, girl girl at school, always been a diff- bit different to her friends and contemporaries, and then gets diagnosed with autism. So then the story is then about celebrating neurodiversity um, and saying, you know, you can still have a wonderful life and friends and career and family and prospects and fun and happiness and all of that. So it's a very positive message. It's a nice message. So it's a, yeah, it's a lovely thing to be a part of. And speaking of books, I know you're a big book reader. That that bookshelf of yours mm. at home is incredible. I'm at awe of that. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it has taken many, many years and many minor battles with my wife to say, no, it needs to be, <laughs> it needs to be here. And as groaning as it is, I need every book here. How many times that doesn't matter. Don't get into the details of how many times I've read it. Doesn't matter about that. I need all those. I need all those books. I need all my first edition Philip K. Dix and J.G. Ballards. I need them all just in case <laughs> somebody says, do you know a good book? I can go, ah, this Guess one. What? I was about to ask you now, what would you pick out as a as a good recommendation to Baldur's Gate 3 fans off the collection? Oh, now that that is an absolute hummer of a question. <laughs> I would probably go some Clive Barker. Do you know what? That's probably quite a good solid place to start one of the greatest fantasists i would argue of all time and world builders so you know imajika for instance is an extraordinary kind of just crosses times and worlds and galaxy all kinds of things and he doesn't hold back as well clive barker obviously known for hellraiser and um cabal and those kind of books and the scarlet gospels and so it's very very visceral and try to be imitated many, many times and never bettered, I think. So something by Clive Barker, I would go, Imajik is quite big. Start with Cabal, I would say, which was Nightbreed, which was made into Nightbreed, uh, with David Cronenberg uh, oh. playing the baddie there. Spoiler. Wow. Um, he was uh, he was in that, big, uh, big Barker fan, but uh, was ruined in the, classically ruined in the edit. The edit of that was supposed to be this big sprawling epic, and then the studios narrowed it down to like an hour and a half, and then there's been a, there's been a re-edit to uh, reinstate the full Clive Barker director's cut of that, and it's brilliant. I love it. But are you a film buff? Massive film buff. Massive film buff. I Were you Oppenheimer love... or Barbie? Do you know what? <laughs> we didn't go and see Oppenheimer, but we did go and see Barbie, and I, to be honest with you, I loved it. I was nice. really, I thought this is a beautiful piece of filmmaking. It's stunning. And little details that I really enjoyed. Like, for instance, Barbie's dream house is 22% smaller than the human size because Barbie itself is 22% too big for, like, the Barbie car <laughs> and the Barbie house. And so they integ- integrated wow. that into the making of it. And you think, that's detailing. I appreciate that. And the fact they ran out of pink paint. There was a shortage in the UK of pink paint. Because of that film. No, really? Yeah, apparently so. Apparently so. They used (laughs) so much of it to paint all the sets. There was a shortage of paint. Love that. you got to give them marketing props because there was a billboard. I think it was here in Australia. It was just pink. That's it. Yeah. Nothing else. You know. (laughs) When do you see that? power for that? You don't. (laughs) It's like the one word names. It's like Cher or Madonna. You don't need, I don't need surnames. I don't need that. Just you think you could get away yeah. with that, Tim? That's going to be one of the blandest <laughs> signs you'll ever th- you'll ever think. <laughs> Tim, what could that? What could that? I mean, it would just breed like, oh, uh, yeah, great, Tim. <laughs> like Tim the Enchanter is probably the only. Well, that maybe oh, Roth yeah. and Dalton and that kind of thing. But you know, we're we're limited. We're limited in Tim's. While we're on um, film, who's your favorite filmmakers? Watch some of your favorite films just quickly. My favorite, the films I return to again and again and again are The Shining. Great film, yeah. Which I just absolutely adore. I love Kubrick and I love that. And I love Jack Nicholson as well. So the combination of that, just superb. Um, I would go quite old school. Like I really love 
Bergman, Ingmar Bergman, Swedish director yeah. from the yeah. 1940s and stuff. But some yeah. of his work, some his it is so dark and challenging. And mm. I would recommend The Seventh Seal. If no one's seen it, it's the yeah. classic, classic film. They parody all the time. Most famous parody is obviously Bill and Ted, where they play Death Plays Battleships. And that is one of the opening sequences. They don't play battleships in Bergman's Seventh Seal. They play chess on the shores of the Swedish coast. And it's the challenge of death is coming to take the night during this time of plague. And he bargains with him during the chess game for a bit more time. But it's dark and it's it's great and it asks questions. So I will always go back to that. And then if I want something lighter, Buster Keaton is an absolute, because I love comedy. So Buster Keaton's The General is an absolute Sunday. Oh, I'll put that on. I was going to say, what's some dumb comedies? What's some dumb comedies you like? You know, just no brains needed. Just sit back, relax, have a bit of fun. Mine's Happy Gilmore. Oh, that's a great film. Yeah. That's really fun. That's really fun. I would put on a Mel Brooks. Like Young Frankenstein was the film I grew up with. And I just find that that's real comfort blanket stuff, that is. You just put it on and you let Gene Wilder just, just blow you away. It's did you watch um, Did you watch Faulty Towers growing up? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Jeez, I found that funny. Uh, I mean, I'm English, of course. I watched Faulty Towers. I, I like, thought so, but far out. That's a funny show. I tell you what. Oh, it's just relentlessly Brilliant. good and clever, yeah. and just just all together with just physical comedy and funny lines, mm. and just brilliantly performed. You think, yeah, that's that's amazing. And there's only twelve. They did oh, not stay there. I know. There is only twelve. So that's. Well done. Well done. It's tough to do these days with all the sequels and that. It really no. is. And all the money being thrown at it. But <laughs> it's it's good to you know, because obviously the BBC wanted to do wanted to do more, but they said no, that's that's it. Good on them. Great. So talk to me about this is your first ever game, right? Boulders Gate 3. Yeah. Oh yeah. First ever game, you picked one of the greatest games in, in years. How did you manage I mean, that? What one? A- <laughs> what are the chances, eh? What are the chances? I'm just waiting. I'm biding my time down. Yeah. Biding my time. I, I know. I I know my stuff. I do my research. <laughs> no, it was just complete fluke and luck, and it's just one of those things that came in, and they said, "Do you want to audition for this?" And I said, "Yeah, okay, great. What am I doing?" Oh, uh, there's a couple of parts, and I was looking at what the parts were, and one was uh, a Cambian devil, Cambian demon. That was one of them, which was probably the one I went, "Oh, that's quite fun playing." some sort of winged devil. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. I'd love to do that. And the other one was Gale, um, <laughs> Wizard. I thought, okay, great. And some of the um, references for that were, were the, the one they mainly mentioned was uh, Henry Carville from the Tudors. So I thought, well, I'm an absolute spit. I mean, obviously I look absolutely oh, yeah. identical. Even better, I mean, actually. Even better. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll I'll try for both and just see what happens. So you, you send them off mm. and you wait. And then they came back and they said, they'd love you to play, love you to play this. And, you know, you still don't know what the game is. You still don't know what the name is, even though that would mean nothing to me whatsoever. But that was all very kind of kept un, under wraps. And it was just like a fantasy. It was a fantasy game. So I thought, great, fantasy, love fantasy, big into that anyway. Yeah, this will be, this will be a lot of fun. But were you trepidatious knowing that it was a game? Because you're not very familiar with this landscape, totally. are you? Totally, totally, totally. So I was literally starting from ground zero. Like I don't understand or I hadn't been shown what the kind of narratives and structures are of 
actually putting together a game, what a game means, how it all kind of strings together, how you record it. Do you learn the lines? Do you not learn the lines? What exactly goes in goes into making it? Goes into the kind of just the nuts and bolts of it. So it was you were literally learning on on the job of kind of thinking, okay, well, these are the lines. You get the script um, beforehand for your session. You go through it. You kind of make your choices. And then when they throw in the element of, oh, it's also it's also mocap. You go, oh, great, okay. And you know, you think you you think you know mocap because you've seen those pictures of Marvel films. Going, oh yeah, okay, I'll be in a morph <laughs> suit. That's that's what that is, and I'll be doing all that. And it's all very different. And then you kind of gra- it is a gradual slow process of working out what can I do what 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 can't I do is this a good thing to do I'm giving too much of a a screen performance and so it's not it's not registering because obviously you're you're capturing it and also there's a whole world behind you that you just you have to make up you have Mm -hmm. to kind of say okay I'm I'm standing here now and there's a dragon and there's a castle and there's a horde of drow okay what's a drow what's that what does that look like oh we'll find we'll find a picture it looks like this all oh, right that's cool and there's lots <laughs> of them yeah they're horrible things. oh okay great oh all right okay okay all right we'll do it and so i found it just an extraordinary big steep learning curve i think i went in far too kind of casual kind of thinking oh okay really? it's going to be like voiceover and a few little bits that's going to be that's going to be fine and then the full scale of work that is needed, not even knowing what the game is, but just the, the artistry of what is needed to create in a completely different medium was extraordinary. It was like, wow, okay, this is this is a real skill. This is a real art to doing this and doing it well and convincingly and marrying together voice and physical work. So yeah, I found it like a, yeah, a very much a baptism by fire in those first good few sessions probably a couple of months of sessions um to kind of bed it in and think okay and how i want to move this character on how what what is the character i want to i want to play in this how do i want him to be so that was a very interesting was the first scene that where we meet him was that the first scene you ever shot oh i've got absolutely no idea what my first scene (laughs) was but i think the first the first scene when you meet him was probably recorded um, probably two years into it, I would say something like that, quite late. So we kind of start, you kind of start in the middle, you kind of start as the writers have kind of plonked in. And that's quite a filmic thing. You don't usually start with the first scenes because you've got to kind of find where you are anyway. So you start a bit further in and then go back. So you've got more of a a run-in or you know more of what the character is and what the sound of it is. So so I I was nervous in the sense of going, okay, well, I hope I can do this well. But the magnitude of it didn't, come into play because I had no idea what it was and no one told me what it was so you just kind of go oh, okay well um hopefully it's it'll it'll do this and maybe I'll just try a little bit of that and this and that and I think it was in those early days that I thought I think I should make him a little bit funnier I don't want him to be too serious I think that maybe that's that's maybe quite an interesting character thing and I don't know if that's appearing in games appeared in games a lot or not or it's not within the genre or not I just thought do you know what that's a skill set I have I will make him a little bit funnier and mm. just not taking things quite as seriously as sometimes the directors would like me to do like oh okay this is really bad you're going you know everyone's dead there's children dead all over the place and bodies everywhere and i thought it'd be quite you know quite funny at times for girls we go well that's awful anyway moving on and i i always found that quite an interesting 
thing to do within within games. And I don't know if it's a, a thing or not, but I found it quite interesting. No, I mean, that's one thing I think that's lacking in, in gaming. There's not many comedic games or they're very, they're quite very serious a lot of the time. So I think mm. this character was a bit of a breath of fresh air for people. I'm wondering how do you balance the comedy aspect with if he's too comedic, you know, people might not take him serious or he might turn into a bit of a villainous type because he's not taking yeah. things so serious. How do you balance that? Well, I think with things like that, you've got to give him heart and a grounding mm. and, um, uh, not necessarily a morality or anything else like that, but it's like building any any comedy character or any kind of, even like great works of art. Even if you take Hamlet, something like that, then you've got to have the Grave Diggers comedy of skulls and, oh, you've got to have that to then make the drama much higher. The 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 gap in between is, a, is greater. So you kind of are relaxed. It's like the same with horror. Horror and comedy work very, very similar in the sense of you know creep 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 open the door nothing there you go oh and then the thing happens and it's this very similar beats right. in comedy uh-huh. is creating that comfort and then hitting you with with something so it's knowing those rhythms of how how things work and then with just with the brilliance of the scripts you know you can't go too far it's not going to go you know oh, whoops there go my trousers that would that would never oh that, that might be in the latter part of the game i don't know but um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so you try and balance it out. And also, you know, people are contain multitudes, characters contain multitudes. Not everything is serious and not everything is funny. So it's nice to have those light and shade within it because then it there is a humanity in that. And I think that's the connection that you have with any form of art is you have flaws. Everybody has flaws, good sides, bad sides, and all the multitudes in between. And I think trying to find those and play those just makes a character more interesting definitely how collaborative was the process for you did you feel like you got to make your print because it comes through for for the players oh good good no i i I really think there were it was very much a collaborative thing there was very much because i think everyone's trying to find the voice and find the character because obviously the whole thing isn't written by the time you you first start so you do kind of plod your way through and kind of find little bits and pieces. And then you do kind of throw in things because instinct kind of kicks in and you think, well, that, let's try that. And they can always say no. They can always, as happens all the time, go, no, no, that's that's too much or it's not enough. And then what I found the hardest was the combination of just saying something and then embodying it. And it was that... Yeah the bringing together of the embodiment of saying that's really nice the way that line has been said, but it's physically, you've got to give it more because you won't see it. If you see oh, what I mean. So, so you feel like you were going a bit too subtle with the movement. Yeah. A bit too subtle, being oh. too, uh, too cerebral with things. Mm. And so, you know, you just kind of sit there and you could just kind of land a joke just as I'm sitting here to you and you think, well, that's not going to read. It's not going to tell um, enough for a player. So you have to give it a little flourish or a little something. So then I think that's when you kind of bring in the subtleties that then make the character the character, the little kind of ticks and twitches or little kind of ways you bend your head or put an arm out and gesture. You go, oh, okay, that's, this is all now becoming, it's very much like mask work is the closest I can kind of do it is really? almost like removing, almost like removing expression and physicalizing your your work. 
in such a way that that is also telling the story as much as as much as voice you think oh, okay this is and that's like stuff I learned at drama school my god like 20 odd years ago so that was really interesting going back to that and going okay well maybe it's a little bit like it's a little bit like this which is the closest thing that I could work my head around as to where the art form sits um yeah with varying degrees of success <laughs> when do you think you found your rhythm throughout the process how long did it take you to finally get the character and click and then hit uh, pride oh, so, my god three three four years in i would say i finally yeah okay, I think I finally <laughs> really i think i finally got this guy last session but <laughs> nailed it he's a wizard Can we redo the last three Years, is it yeah. all right if we just go back a little <laughs> bit that would be good um i think there are some there are literally moment moments of uh, like clarity where you'll kind of walk into a session and it, sometimes it, it can be just the things that have happened before before you even step into the volume the journey there or other problems that kind of go on around or things you've just kind of seen or maybe you're just having a particularly good day because of whatever environmental things are going around. And then sometimes you can walk in and there's a lightness and a freeness and you'll go, oh my God, that's it. I'm not getting in my own way with my own head of, oh, it's gotta be like this. And there's so much technical stuff that you have to kind of factor in, which is all part of the artwork um, and how it all kind of comes together. And sometimes when you just give into instinct and do a few bits and go, oh, wow, actually, okay, yes, 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 yes. This is now sitting exactly where I want it to sit and everyone else seems to think that okay great this is great and then obviously the problem is is you then have a session and then a month and a half later you come back in you're going okay morning everyone um <laughs> sorry what are we what are we doing what is what is this oh right could you play back what I did right okay fine. <laughs> I know I know you're a bit of a, a baker and a foodie and I'm wondering have you have you made an edible artifact yet yet in commemoration no, for Gail. No. Do you know what? I only make cakes for my daughter's birthdays because I'm not, not a, I'm not a baker. I was thrust into this world. Um, and then oh, you start I've seen your work. For kids. I've seen your work. Impressive. Thanks, Thanks very much. Self-taught, Dan. Self-taught. Not really? one lesson. Unbelievable. Eh? Wow. Unbelievable. Just a lot of YouTube How? The cakes were layered and every, how? What? Oh, they were layered, colored, all kinds of things. Did it all from YouTube. Oh. All from YouTube, little ideas, ideas and bits and pieces that my daughters would say, oh, I want this cake. And you go, really? You're six. <laughs> okay, fine. No, I'll, 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 I'll do it. I'll try it. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just learning it through that. And I think if I were to make so, well, actually, it's my, uh, my, I've, got a, I've got a birthday coming up in a couple of months. So if I can convince her, okay, what, what do you want for your, oh, I'd like, I don't know. A unicorn <laughs> of course you do <laughs> although what you could actually have is um you, we could all be resisting the dark urge and maybe some sort of artifact that wouldn't blow daddy up so i'm just just putting it up there you wouldn't want daddy blown up would you of course you wouldn't so why don't we do that <laughs> how old are you daughter six and seven 27 oh, no. <laughs> no. i'm uh, not sure yeah, yeah. So they're pro probably a while away from once... playing this one aren't they I think so. I think so. <laughs> Don't worry about walking into a room of going, oh, that's a nice bear. What are you playing? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know what that? Uh, oh, no, shit. Uh... God, that's funny. <laughs> I, I saw this video of you dancing um, in the booth 
What was that all yeah. about? Was that was that last session or something, or were you just having a bit of fun? No, no. That's that's usually when um, the the cal is the calibration of the room. So they have to calibrate ah. all the cameras to your to the dots that are on you, so they yeah. can get all your movements and and all of that things. And sometimes, obviously, technical problems. It goes it goes wrong. So they say, would you do a would you ask for a calibration dance? So it calibrates the cameras so you do as many movements as you possibly can, um, so it can collate all that data and you make oh, so sure you're that working that's systems. called work that's a working thing that's an adult working dan that's what you're watching there an adult man <laughs> i don't believe you mid 40s working hard you. i know it's unbelievable isn't it? <laughs> try and convince your children that this is what you do for a living and they don't believe you they look at you no. like you're an idiot but no it's just to calibrate the whole room so i like to incorporate a lot of modern dance uh within my calibration modern dance um, yeah One's got to. I was uh, giving you the color mauve during that particular piece, <laughs> um, and how it clashes against modern expectations of very pink. contemporary so, piece. Yeah, I thought so. I thought yeah. so. You gotta, you gotta do these things. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a there's a whole multitude of other uh, calibration dances of varying skill and degree. That one I'm particularly fond of. <laughs> I bet. I've, how did you find the the um, the romance stuff and the horniness of this game? Is that something you were expecting? Absolutely not, Dan. <laughs> Absolutely not. It, just no one mentioned it. Nobody mentioned it. Not a really? gamer. Didn't even know it was a feature. Didn't even know it was a feature. Yeah. So then one day you walk in and it's like nine o'clock in the morning. You, you know, would you like a coffee? Oh, I'd love a coffee. What are we doing today? Everything's ready in there. Great. Okay. You get yourself in the game. So we're doing some romance stuff. And you're literally going, sorry? What? The Doing some romance. Oh, right. Is that a... Is that a thing? Oh yeah, it's a thing. Oh, okay. How many? Oh, there'd be quite a lot of this. Quite a lot of it. What do you What do you mean? So that was quite interesting. In fact, there was one scene in particular that we had to record for various different reasons, technical script changes. We had to record it four times, four separate sessions. So we're talking nearly six hours, maybe eight hours of recording. And the scene in particular that we had to do was the scene in the weave and the boat the boat scene in the weave. And we had to do that again and again and again. And I think I would they're, in... they're playing a prank on you or something. Oh, I, without a doubt, Dan. <laughs> you need this. The technology at your fingertips and you need me to do this four times. Well, uh... thank you. But yeah, I would look into the booth on those particular occasions and... There was one person in particular who was on who was on technical mocap duties, who was the only person who had to sit through all four sessions. And we would look at each other as if to go, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry you're going to have to sit through all of this again. God, Take a deep breath funny. and off we go. And it was, yeah, so that was, but that was it. But I had no idea. I just did not know that was even a, a thing when I when I did this. Now, spoilers, guys, if you need to just skip the next few minutes. Um... So the there's a few endings for Gale. I'm wondering which one do you remember shooting them, and do you remember which one you had the most fun with? I'm guessing, or what? Which one you prefer? I'm guessing you don't prefer being blown up. <laughs> no, oddly, I don't prefer that one. Although the build up to those are quite fun because it's quite sort of heroic and great, yeah. and it was very movie like, which I really yeah. enjoyed. Though you could almost feel like if this was if this was a movie, the camera would zoom in. As your face is looking away and then you'd turn back and you'd say the line and then it would just kind of go white. 
yeah. as the thing just yeah. dissolves. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's really cool. The great thing about actually sidestepping about doing these games is it makes you feel like a five year old. It does. It does me because what you're asked to do is in a what good I used to do. Absolutely. In the best yeah. way yeah. possible, because it reminded me of when you're like on a summer holiday as like yeah. a six year old or a seven year old and your parents don't want you in the house anymore. So you have to go out in the garden and you have to create a world from like sticks or a yeah. tree. And that's your world. And that's like a fucking kingdom you have to <laughs> conquer but by any way, and maybe you've you know buried a Star Wars figure in the ground that you've just suddenly discovered it. Ah, oh, oh my God, yeah, yeah. And this this old stormtrooper with one leg is now gonna we're gonna do this together, my friend. And it was mm. having to have that childlike sense of absolute freedom of creating everything in front of you, but just in your head, and believing it. You have to believe it because if you don't believe it, you can even though it's an animated piece. You can tell in the way you move because everything's captured and in your voice if you don't believe it as much as you possibly can. And so that was great fun. That was, for me, the best thing about doing it was that sense of of like childlike freedom of going, great. Well, where are we today? Oh, you're in the underdark. What's that? That sounds awesome. What the hell is that? Oh, it's like this and like this. Great. Okay. Okay. So imagine like this, like this. Great. And then you put yourself in. The difficulty, though, is when you skip from one thing to another. So you kind of immerse yourself in this world of going, OK, you're in the underdark, for instance. OK, you're here, you're here, you're here. And then they'll go, great, OK, we finished that section. So you're now on the banks of the Chiantar. What the hell? What? Where? Uh, and it's daylight and it's the middle of the day and you've just fight. Oh, right. OK, wow. And you have to get yourself into a completely different headspace from being very internal to being very external. And that was quite challenging, but fun. Great fun, Dan. Where does this rank of all the projects you've done in, in the fun factor? It's got to be up there, right? Oh, it's really up there. It's yeah. really up there. Just for the amount of freedoms and things and just the sheer scale of things that you can do. You know, you're doing little bits, you know, that are kind of funny and comical, like with the circus and the clown face and the kind of silliness. And then you're doing dark stuff, really, like when you're possessed um, yeah. by, you know, by the murder things, which I, which was, that yeah. was really fun. That would have been really fun. Go, just push, just push it and just go wherever you want with it. Just, just, you know, but it's got to be dark. That's the real that. asshole version. That's the, yeah. And then the, you know, the funny stuff, like, you know, Dale is a hologram. And in my head, it was like, oh. Dale is a hologram. It would probably People be love like, that, mate. They love that. I loved every second when they said you're doing girl is a hologram i was like yes i love this me love this. i had images love of it. red dwarf of of rimmer i was like yeah yeah let's do that <laughs> but yeah it's it was great great fun it was a lot of work and hard work to get it all done and to give it all the things that it that it needed and that it warranted but my god it was fun what fun to do just to go and play Dress up in a suit. Suit wasn't fun. I'll be honest with you. Very little left. Very little to the imagination. I'll be honest with you, Dan. But um, still haven't shifted all that COVID weight. So, you know, that was that was something. But great fun. Great you didn't have, fun. You didn't have right, to worry right. about that, though, did you? That was for the other you people. Don't, but it's when yeah. you're wandering around for like four hours and just trying to have a conversation with someone. So how was your how was your trip in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. So I'm sorry about all this. It's, it's all a bit. Do you miss the um the mustache? I noticed you got a full beard now. 
Yeah, I do. This is my homage to Gale. I thought I'd uh, you know, put this on. <laughs> yeah. I do miss the mustache. I do miss it. And uh, and because it became such a sort of trademark. Um, and also it's just a, it's just a funny thing to have because it kind of enlarges your your features, that mustache. So, yeah, I do miss it. I think it, it will definitely make a return again. Once I, once I finish this, I'm going to take this off to give my face a breather and for my children to recognize me again. But then I think, okay, at some point it'll definitely it'll definitely come back. I was going to say, what did your partner and kids think? Well, I did the, th- the first time I ever shaved it off. I was doing um, Outlander, and yeah. the part I play in Outlander great show. have to be clean. Great show, great fun to do. Again, enormous fun. Another one of those. But for that particular part, because of when it's set, I had to be clean shaven, and I hadn't been clean shaven. So my youngest daughter, when she was born. I had a moustache right the way up to probably she was like, I don't know, four or three, maybe something like wow. that. Yeah, two or three. Yeah. So that's what daddy looks like. That's what daddy looks like. And they always say that when you take off something like that, something that's quite a strong they, facial. They don't recognize thing, you anymore. And it's absolutely true, Dan. Oh, no. Isn't that heartbreaking? Oh, it was absolutely oh. sure. It was not only heartbreaking, it was also very dangerous because I said... Uh, oh, well, don't worry. We'll do it in the morning. We'll do it together. We'll shave it off. And then they said, uh, "Oh no, you're going to have to leave quite quite early." So, all right. And if you've had a moustache for a while, your lip kind of curls down, so you do look a bit like a turtle. So it needs a bit of time to plump up. So I, I shaved it off, and I said, "No, no, no. It's going to be fine. I'll shave it off." So then in the morning, I came in uh, to to see her and said, "Morning, like that. Morning." She literally <laughs> opened her eyes, screamed, and poked me so hard in the eye oh, no. that. It burst all the blood vessels, what? and it went com- it went completely black. Like my eyeball bled so much, it went completely black. I then had to go up to Scotland to film Outlander, and walking in dressed in that thing, going morning, morning, everyone. Um, if you could just shoot me from this side, well, why is that? What's the problem? <laughs> it's because of this. And everyone went, Jesus Christ! So there's one particular scene in Outlander. Oh my god! Only shot from this side, and if I do do that. The, the amount of money it took to CGI my eye out and place another one in because of, I mean, it was like, it was like, you know, I think it's like the Borg, you know, that kind of black eyeball. Shit. Just soulless. Did it and hurt? Was, do you know what? No, it did. It hurt. It was like stunning at the first. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, okay, it's fine. And I don't know if you've ever had an eyeball bleed, Dan, but what it does no, is I haven't. <laughs> because, it's, because it's very thin, it's a slow creep. So oh. the blood drains down, gravity kind of pulls it down, but it doesn't have anywhere to go. So it's like blood on glass. So if you were like to push it together, it yeah. just goes, yeah. even though it's tiny. So the whole eyeball went went oh. black, just blood black. How like long till it went back normal? Oh, a good couple of weeks. A Shit. good couple of weeks. It, really? It, it, yeah, it fades. And then you, you can almost like see the slow drain as it goes down, which again <laughs> is very strange. But um, yeah, that was that was interesting. So don't I don't recommend so, taking off facial hair. No. And then How did you convince her it, it was dead? You she's to... still a bit unsure, <laughs> even three or four years later. Now she's still a little still bit still working on it. Still working on it, like some dystopian Philip K. Dick short story of Are you really? Are you really? I don't know. There's something other. Yeah. Oh, all right. We've got some really good fan questions here that um, people have sent through. Um, We'll go through some of them now. Where did Gail get his abs from? That's from Green Harrow. 
I think they modeled it off your real body, right? It's completely modeled off off my own physique. Um, I insisted, (laughs) insisted on that uh, because I'm just in such fine physical shape. Um, So thank you for your question. And you are very (laughs) modest too. And I'm incredibly modest. I think that comes through in Gail's performance as well. He's just incredibly modest, you know, calm, calm man. Um, I, I, I guess there's someone incredibly well ripped that they just kind of brought in and went, we'll just, we'll just uh, dot that up. Now you really are being modest. Uh, Ashen New Zealand, he says, could he really hear Clem Fandango? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's that is that's a reference to Toast of London, because um, I there's there's yeah there's a scene in the series of Toast of London with Matt Berry where I'm in the booth, uh, doing voiceovers. The irony of the career trajectory of an actor, and it's all, the catchphrase of the show is "Yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango." The number of times oh, God. I have stood in that sorry stood in that volume. I, I didn't know, I didn't know it was a a sore point. I'm sorry. Oh no, not not at all, not at all. <laughs> but the number of times I've stood in that volume and uh, they they've uh, not pressed the button, and I just put your finger on the button, and quotes like that of going, "Can you hear me?" Yes, yes, all of that. Um, yeah, it's good fun. It's it's kind of like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. How many times do you think he said people go up to him and say, "I'll be back," get to the chopper, you know? Oh, I think more than he would ever care to mention. And maybe like Brian Blessed in Flash Gordon, that you don't even have to say anything. Oh. He'll say, Gordon's alive. <laughs> just do it. I did an advert oh, no. with Brian Blessed, which I was very thrilled at. And uh, yeah. at the time I was going to India, I was going to the Himalayas. And I thought, oh, Blessed loves mountains. He's a big mountain guy. I'll ask him about that. That'll be my my gateway drug into a conversation with Brian Blessed. And he basically walked in before it even said anything. He walked in and he, he literally said, hello, everyone, how are you? Gordon's alive. And he said, brilliant. Just straight into the catchphrase. Don't even need any prompting. Really? Fantastic. No kidding. Yeah, it was amazing. No, what? It was amazing. It was amazing. Oh, get it ever done with now. Nice and early. Absolutely. Give them what they want. <laughs> Give them what they Give want. The like playing that one want. hit at a concert. I don't want to hear oh. the back catalogue. I want to hear that one hit again. Oh, that's brilliant. Alachuk. Kun, sorry, I'm going to stuff people's names up here. How did you find the character of Gail to be? And was it difficult to get into the character? It wasn't difficult to get into the character, but it was it was it was a, a, a kind of continual experiment in finding like his heart and soul and kind of where he's from and all of those little things that make characters nuanced and really interesting. You kind of start with a broad palette of going, okay, well. I'll do this, 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 and this. Okay, well, that's quite a good place to start. But then it's the subtleties within within all of that that are the bits to find, like when he gets very serious or falls in love. And so you really have to kind of dig deep for those to make that truthful. I mean, it all sounds very methody, but it, you have got to find it within to make those things as honest as you possibly can because also then if you don't what's the point in doing it like that's the job of an actor regardless of what you do it's to find the truth as much of the truth as you can and then to play that um as much as 
as as you can as is comfortable and then to go beyond that and just kind of really push yourself um so those are always challenging do you struggle pushing yourself or do you i'm just not an emotional man dad i'm not an emotional man no no, i'm um it's it's not it's not necessarily a struggle it's just you know it's hard when you're jumping around as well to go from something like battles to then romance to then break up that's what i'm saying it's so the jump around is is hard because usually you would have a kind of a kind of run into it so you go okay this is where this is where the scene goes and then you run into it and it's exhausting mm. to do that and to and to hopefully do it as well as as well as you can um but you find it again you go back to being like a five-year-old again you go into your head and you find those spaces that maybe you haven't really looked at for a, a long time or maybe you haven't looked at for a reason and sometimes they're they are the ones to go into within the kind of dark recesses of your head to go ah, okay yeah let's Let's unlock that. Let's unlock that bit of pain. Let's unlock that little bit of sorrow or heartbreak. Because that's going to be that's going to be the truth of the matter is if you tap into that and try and play that as as much as you can. Who was your favorite love interest for Gail from Big Bad Beetle Boy? Great name. Yeah. Favorite love interest. If you have to pick one. I don't know. It's really. It's really hard. I think Gail would probably just pick himself if he has to pick anybody. Uh, you know, Jennifer was saying, you know, he's probably the easiest to romance, um, kind Ooh. of, you know, calling you out a little bit as a bit of yeah. a, you know, quite an easy target. He, yeah, he is quite an easy target, but he's also, he also, I think, feels things very deeply. And so therefore, yeah, it's probably easy to start off, but then... Then, yeah, then it no. gets a bit, you know, it gets a bit trickier. It almost gets a bit more like, I would almost imagine, like a proper relationships, as in, well, then it's a two-way street. It's a two-way thing. Okay, we're going to have, you're going to have to do stuff as well. It's not just me. It's the two of us together. We're going to create something, um, which I then I think makes it a bit more, a bit more interesting. So yeah, easy, easy to start off. God, he only wants to be loved. He's got a library and a cat. I mean, you know what I mean? An Elminster. I mean, come on. You know, what? please give them out a break. <laughs> was that discussed, what you just said then? Was that something you discussed with the guys at Larian or any of the team, the directors? Or was that something that just naturally ha- happened? <clears throat> you kind of, it, it is discussed and it is talked about, but then it's discovered. A lot of it is through mm. discovery, which is almost almost kind of like, it's kind of like a rehearsal. I mean, it's not really a rehearsal because you're actually recording it, but you you tread softly on things and you begin to kind of find out, okay, well then, because also there's a lot of divergence within the Whoa. script because there yeah. are so many choices. How you play the start of something like that, then you then branch off into so many different permutations of what that germ, that seed will then bring out that it makes it quite complicated in your own head. Because obviously, as an actor, you have a script. It goes from A to B to C. This is the trajectory. Either it's a good outcome, it's a bad outcome, it's, you know, the miscellaneous outcome. But on this, it could be any of those things and all of those things and none of those things. Mm. So that made it quite a sort of mindfuck at times, especially with the more emotional, darker stuff, because you have to put yourself in so many different throngs of an idea and then play those quite quickly. Like it will dip from here to here to here to here to here. And you'll make assumptions sometimes to go, ah, oh, okay, 
I think I know where this is going. Oh, no, it doesn't go necessarily uh, go that yeah. way. It may go this way or that way. So they that, really I win guess a bit. that's where the, mm. yeah, that's where the technicality comes in as well. Of, what? Oh, okay, right. So I have to pitch this in a, uh, a more ambiguous way. So it could go this way or that way rather than, right. oh, I'm angry now or I'm upset now. Be more ambiguous. And then as it branches off, then you can explore. So that was but, quite, but you that was had quite the core values that you kept throughout, no matter what, um, yeah, no matter what you were, what path yeah. you were going down, yeah, yeah, but very, very much because again, I think that gives it layering and, and character interest is sometimes the conflict within yourself. Yes, I may be doing this particular thing that I don't like or feel like I should do, but it's got to come from a place that the the, the, the audience understands. It's like watching an evil character mm. doing something bad. It's got to come from, if it's just outright evil for the sake of it, you kind of lose interest because it's like, well, that's just horrible. That's just, there's no, there's no reason for it. But if you give the character a reason and the reason kind of go, okay, well, okay. It's extreme what you've done, but I can't, I do see why you've done it or where you've been to get to that point. Then I find that then as an audience, as the player, is far more nuanced and deep and questioning. You then begin to question your own choices in things or your own kind of place within, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I would have done that. Why would I have done that? And that makes it a lot more meta and a lot more interesting, I think. Have you seen much of your work? Have you been looking stuff up? Have you seen many clips? I've seen little bits and pieces. Um, to be honest with you, I just don't know where to start. It's so vast and so big. I've seen kind of clips of things and bits and pieces. I almost wanted to kind of be laid out in like just all the kind of sequences of everybody's kind of bits. No gameplay, because I wouldn't know what on earth I was doing, but just kind of just to see. I know what you mean. Yeah, the just sort of, an, an of the story and just, yeah. yeah, just kind of watch it, passively kind of just watch it. Because the other thing I was blown away with is just how good the animation is. Just extraordinary. Like in my head, it was still animated like the lawnmower man do you remember the lawnmower man the stephen king adaptation that's what i imagined in my head the animation was still like oh so you could imagine, my, you could imagine my surprise dan when they said <laughs> oh here we go we'll just show you this this little clip and i was and i was watching going uh, is this a trailer is this just a trick this is it this, this is the game but when you see absolutely blown away and when you're seeing your facial work in this character because you can see the little nuances mm. in the yeah. facial were you thinking, yeah. wow, this is crazy? Yeah, it was one of the most freaky things I've ever seen. Yeah. Genuinely, it really, really took me back. You know, obviously, as an actor, you're used to kind of seeing yourself, but you're seeing yourself as yourself. And this, you're seeing a character that, you know, vaguely looks like you, you know, as a man with a beard. You go, okay, I can get behind it, but it doesn't, it isn't you. But then it has all your little ticks and the way you just kind of move a hand or you just do a like a tiny little motor gesture and it's all there it's all captured and that i found absolutely mm. mind-boggling like wow that that's that's incredible that was one of the most revelatory things as part of this game that i'd seen going wow it really does it really picks up everything and records everything and the choices you make do go in so it is a performance. It really, really is a performance. You're not just kind of going in doing the numbers. It is a performance, a full performance, you know, which is, yeah, amazing. This kid Paladin, 
What is your favorite spell, Tim? My favorite spell, I don't know, <laughs> is the answer to that. <laughs> there are so many spells. Uh, there are yeah. just so many spells in varying yeah. in varying degrees. I just could. It's one of those things. There's in. too many. You forget even one. Can't even you really do. One. When you've got to yeah. do them one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other, for about an hour, you yeah. kind of go, I'm, "I'm, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know <laughs> what I'm saying anymore." The worst, the best part of that, well, best and worst part of that was actually during COVID, because during COVID we obviously couldn't record, so we had to get a home. You didn't have to, but it was suggested you get a home studio. So then you try and pull together a home home studio over that period, and certain little components of that were like fucking gold dust, like you couldn't buy like a little there was a little thing called a scarlet i think it's like a scarlet receiver or something which is what you plug your mics into and then it goes into your uh into the uh, into the computer well, it's, it's like, like a like gold Willy Wonka golden ticket sort of thing yeah oh my god you couldn't buy they were sold out in the uk completely sold out you had to go to like germany and get them shipped over it was unbelievable mm. so anyway you had to do that and during that particular first covid summer in the uk it was unbelievably hot it was a glorious summer no one was allowed outside but it was beautiful and they said, would you start doing some recordings just for spells and noises and things like that? Just, you know, in the interim. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So I set up this studio in my daughter's bedroom at the top of the house, like a fucking furnace. And obviously what you yeah. have to do is I had to open up her wardrobe because obviously the clothes deaden all the sound, throw a duvet over that, then get a light with the laptop and all your kind of bits together. And then you were up there for two or three hours. It was so Sweaty. unbearably hot. Oh, it was, it was absolutely, it was like awful. a sauna. Yeah. And they were saying, okay, so what we want you to do uh, today, just as, you know, just as a starter, we're going to do some death sounds. Great. What does that mean? Okay. <laughs> You've walked into a lake of ice. Now we want this to sound different to walking into a lake of fire. <laughs> right. Okay, um, I haven't got much of a reference for that. I'll, okay. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give it a whirl. So yeah. then you're doing that. Now you've been hit by a sword. Okay. Now you've been hit by a, by an arrow. Okay. A flurry of arrows. Okay. A spear. I should have been unbelievable. I then had my youngest daughter run up the stairs screaming, going, is daddy okay? Is daddy okay? Because <laughs> I was just, ah, ah, oh, all of that. I thought, no, sorry, daddy's oh, Sorry. God. Yeah. He's, yes, he's sweating quite a lot. I know he's in shorts. Go on, off your, <laughs> off your, off your pop. That's that's great. No, just another couple of hours. No, don't take that. Oh, don't take that. God. That's so random, but it's it's really you'll never random. forget so that, will you? You'll never forget At, that. And neither will she. What with that and the moustache, <laughs> she's scarred for life, bless her. Oh shit. Um <clears throat> crazy Kirby. Bless you for nailing the voice and performance of such an adorable, pathetic man. Is that a compliment? Oh, that's, that's very sweet of you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you're you for that. Your performance is what sold me to romance him and pre-order the game on PS5. There you go. Well, then, you know, Larian can thank me later. You know, you're welcome, uh, <laughs> Larian. What can I, what can I say? I've hit a, I've hit a, a real pressure point there. Um, no, thank you. I think, yeah. I think it all, you know, if people like it for whatever reason or however they kind of connect with it. Great. The worst thing as an actor is if someone says, yeah, it's all right. That's the I, know. I would I, know. I want a reaction. I either want someone to say this is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life, and I've had to burn my computer because of you. I would take that as a great compliment, <laughs> as much as it's wonderful. I love it. You know, all of those, all of those things. But just gotta go. Yeah, it was all right. Who are you again? Get out of here! I'd say, get out of here! How dare you? 
Are you also a cat person like Gail? That's from Aussie Nugget. <clears throat> no, uh, I'm not really an animal person, mainly because I like to keep things nice. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that kind of, I just don't want to clean yeah, you up. You don't like the hair animals enough. I don't want that. Cleaning up other, other I don't shit everywhere. I'm not in the mood for that. Or walking down the stairs at six in the morning. What was that? Oh, oh, you know, Chairman Meow has done it again. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want that on the stairs. Thank you. Um, uh what's the least gale voice you could think you could do imagine you were working on another project as something other than the clever wizard mm -hmm. what voice would you come up with um it's from cedric i'm quite i'm quite a good mimic of things i used to do because i did a lot of comedy as a kid and then in sort of like my early 20s did stand up and lots of other bits and pieces like that. You know, I could do a lot of accents and changes of voice and things like that just because it was a necessity to kind of create different characters. If it's just you on stage to create different characters and different characters that talk to different things, you kind of got to get your ear in the game of, oh, okay. Yeah. And the first one I ever, the first one I ever did is my dad's from Scotland. So I did when I was, I mean, this is so precocious as a, as a, a like 10 year old doing a school play and I had to play the Sheriff of Nottingham. And I made a choice then of going, <laughs> wouldn't it be quite fun to do it in a Scottish accent? To which every teacher's like, mm -hmm, okay, this could be shit. Okay, yeah, <laughs> why not? Why don't you give, give that a go? And I think that's the birth of where the acting bug comes from is when you walk on stage as this little kid dressed, you know, almost like Henry Carville in the Tudors, being the Sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> and then it comes over with, you're right there, pal, what are you doing? And you're going, oh shit, that's good. <laughs> what the hell is that? And it creates a laugh, and suddenly you kind of go, "Oh wow, okay, this yeah, is." Yeah, you get the feedback from the crowd. Yeah, yeah, you do, and that's quite. Yeah, that's that. So is that the moment? That is that the moment where you wanted to become an actor? I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I didn't know at the time there was even like a, a a thing you could do. Like it didn't feel like a thing you could do because it's it's play. It's it. You know, all your what you're doing is you're playing and creating and doing all the things that you would do as a child instinctively anyway. So then the idea that you could do that as a, as a living, as an adult, doesn't seem, that doesn't seem, no, that doesn't seem real. That doesn't seem like a job you do. You have to kind of, because obviously you look at your parents and you look at your parents' friends and you think, well, that's jobs. You get dressed and you get in a car and you drive to work and you drive back again at the same times all the time. You, it, you don't really think this is something you could actually do. So you just treat it as, oh, this is really good. And I'm good at it and I enjoy it. So, you know, maybe I'll just do it for a bit and then real life will kick in. But then obviously the, you know, the dangerous thing for any parent is when the child realizes, wait a second, I can do this as a living. I see. Yes, but you might not work around any money. Da, 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 da. But I can do this as a living. Then, yeah. Is it harder to be... I want to get into the stand-up, but is it harder to be a actor when you're a parent? Do you think? I don't know. I I, like is it, I think is there like a something over you? Like I've got to find the next job, sort of thing. There is, but I tell you something. I it's it's freed me more than when I didn't have kids, and the reason being is I think uh, purely from from my perspective mm. is you know, as an actor, you can be quite selfish because it is kind of about you and your emotion and all of these things that you do to create character and create the scene and to make the scene work. So it can be quite a, a selfish endeavor in order to create something. 
And when I had my kids, I suddenly realized, actually, do you know what? I'm, I'm now not doing this for me. I'm not doing this just for me to either become rich or famous or all those things that you think of when you're young and aspiring. I'm doing this for them. I'm doing this so that they can have stuff and they can have the things that I didn't have and they can do all of this. And that is such an enormously freeing thing that then it becomes so altruistic that actually it almost makes you, it made me more relaxed of going, okay, well, this is not about me now. I'm doing this for someone else. And then, and having that altruistic feel of your work just makes you, or made me feel more relaxed mm. about, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I need this, I need this, I need this. Yes, it, it, you know, that is there, of course. I wouldn't be crazy enough to say, oh yes, and then the work flooded in. You know, it, it doesn't work like that. No, no. But yeah. your, your mindset is all important in this, in this job. And then to have that, that shift and that change I've found revelatory and great and really nice. And then when you do do things and you can give your children those things because of the work you are doing, because of a dream of a five-year-old 40 odd years ago on a stage in a village, and now that's created where you are now, I think that's, that's an great. extraordinarily magical, wonderful yeah. thing that you can that you can that you can do and still can do like I could still do it now at, at where I am now which I just think is one of the and you can show them that ever. you're doing something you love like this is your passion you know very much very mm. very much and that's great that's great you know it's following that dream and it's following that sort of you know you only get one chance at this so try it it might not work if it doesn't work you tried it and you'll know as time goes on as age teaches you things shift and move you don't always get one go round you get many bites of the cherry you get many chances at things but you just got to keep trying and if you really want it then you just got to keep going and hopefully it will happen and then there's also the other aspect of that of kind of knowing when enough is enough but why not for the moment try it go for it what's the worst that can happen they're going to say no well you already you're in that position anyway. You're already not doing it. So you might as well try it. Why not? Yeah, it doesn't change what your current circumstance. Yeah. How was um the how was stand-up? How did you find that? That's not uh, an brutal. Easy to do. Oh, God. it was absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal. We used to do um uh so I joined this comedy comedy class, which was an improv comedy group. Um which I thought at the time, okay, that could be that could be quite fun. It's absolutely brutal, like doing <laughs> impro comedy in front of an audience oh, on, on a barge on the Thames on like oh, Friday man. nights was like, okay, this is... Because you're going on stage thinking, I have no idea what to do. Oh, Christ, there's a lot of people here and they want to be entertained. Right, I have absolutely no idea what I'm about to say. And, you know, then you really have to kind of trust in instinct and you have certain things... That you can hook things on kind of going okay well that's quite funny that's quite funny and that's quite funny so if we're anywhere near these things i will be reel able that to do in. this yeah, yeah. i can reel okay. that in and then hopefully that will right. that will kind of spew up something else but it was absolutely a baptism a baptism by fire but it teaches you about audience and it teaches you about reading a room and just how to kind of shift things if things aren't working thinking on your feet and moving things around and not being frightened to just go, okay, it's not working, ditch it, let's do something else, let's try something else. 
and just having another go, another go, another go until it sticks. Okay, that's good. Remember that. And then you move on from those kind of things. But it, yeah, it's, um, it was an absolute baptism. How do you, how do you bounce back when the, when the crowd just don't laugh? You know, you just leave Dan, you just (laughs) leave the fucking stage because there's no point. If they hate you, just leave. Just oh. go. It's been a great night. You've been awful. Yeah. And leave. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are there are ways there are ways back. Right. But you've really got. I mean, it's you, it's it, tough. It will test your metal, the likes of which you have never right. you have never seen. Also, you know, sometimes when it's just you on stage and there's like an audience, like, I don't know, thirty people or something. That's quite okay. Thirty people hate you. Well, you just done <laughs> so that nobody likes. All the room is just completely silent. Uh, okay. Oh man, <sighs> how can I? the energy off of this room how can i do what can i do what can i do which is why you need those little hooks to kind of go okay yeah, that died know. on its ass and let's go to something i know will hopefully bring them back around to then you know, so did you have a bombing experience did you have a an experience oh, you, like you that go through you go through quite a few you go through quite a few of them um and they are big big learning curves and it does make you think do they scar you they 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 do and they they do and they don't. They do scar you because it does it almost sets the seed of fear in you. Yes, for that's doing what I mean. it, like yeah. knowing it can happen and you it need it to happen. Yeah. yeah, and you need it to happen if you're going to pursue that particular thing as being a stand up. You need it to happen because if if it doesn't, then you will be completely wrong footed. Uh, the, the first time it does happen, which inevitably it will, or a heckler, or somebody does something or you pick the wrong person in an audience and all those, all those kind of things. So you do really need it to happen because then it just is, it will just make you more comfortable in future performances to go, okay, well, I've seen every permutation of how this can go absolutely terribly. Okay. Well then we should be okay. No matter what happens. I mean, things still surprise you. I had a friend of mine who uh, was doing a gig at a university. It's going so badly. Um, he decided, he said, I'll tell you what, I know what you people want. So he got in a shopping trolley with a crash helmet, pulled a box over him and had one of the other comics push him across the stage as they throw bottles at him. Um, so it can go that bad. Oh my goodness. Yeah, me. Yeah. Good on him, well I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's quite a well-known comedian. <laughs> yeah, at, least, yeah, at least he um, went out with a bang. I'll Ooh. give you a couple more from the fans. Um, did you associate purple with Gail? If not, what would you have imagined his favourite colour would be? I think definitely the, the blues. I think the blues are nice and those kind of, I would probably go quite autumnal colours mm. with him. Just because the one thing I think I really share with Gail is that love of books and libraries and things like that. And so I, and I always associate that particular kind of aesthetic with autumn. So I would always put those autumnal, russety, sort of darker blues and kind of hues into it. And I think there's a deep romance in all of that as well. It's not just kind of like some of going to the library. It's more, there is a, a beauty and a real, yeah, a real romance in books and old things. And it's a comfort yeah. blanket as well. And it's sort of really, oh, I couldn't think of anything better. Rain Is coming that... out, rain outside, reading oh, the book. Oh, yeah. glorious. Oh, yeah. Is that, what about with the poetry? Are you Because po- he loves poetry as well. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I, I'm a big fan, big fan of poetry. Yeah. Wrote a lot of obviously embarrassing poems as a kid. Obviously, that's what we all did. Unrequited love, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Maybe exploring, you know, what what a tree means or a chrysanthemum, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, but no, I love yeah. I love poetry. I mean, there's some terrible poetry, but honestly, when you hit poetry that is great, that something just absolutely taps into into you, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything better. So, and the master of a, I mean, one of my favorite poets is Ted Hughes. Love Ted Hughes. Ted Hughes. And for me, he can drop a line that will just go straight through you. And it is, I mean, he works a lot on, or drawn a lot of influence from sort of ancient Britain, pagany um, styles of writing. It's got, it's very Anglo-Saxon in his way he will kind yeah. of combine words, which I find extraordinary. And it just, taps something in me that just makes me go oh that's brutal and beautiful at the same time um like the hawk in rain is an extraordinary extraordinary piece um so yeah i mean i i, I love poetry mm, i can tell spoiler question as if you are gail would you recreate the crown for yourself or only if it's needed like to get rid of the all does that make sense yeah yeah when I create the ground, um, I remember doing those scenes and thinking, because obviously all the permutations that come off of it of thinking, well, obviously you'd you'd keep the crown, keep the fucking crown. That sounds <laughs> amazing. You'll become like the king of everything, and you'd get back with Mistra. Please don't keep talking about Mistra, Dan. I'm over Mistra. We've established this. It was a long time. Uh... I broke up. I broke up with her. <laughs> I broke up with her. If she's still going on about me, that's her thing. We're done with it. Please don't bring it up again, Dan. Um, but um, I think you'd do that to then be on a level with Mr. Be like the yeah, I think you'd keep keep that and it would get kind of get rid of the orb as well. I think, yeah, keep keep the damn crown. Don't give the crown away. Goodbye, boulders. Good luck with everything. Good luck with all of this. So <laughs> it's been it's been great, really has. <laughs> oh god. Um why choppy he says why do you keep trying to sleep with me despite me saying no look you've been, <laughs> this guy's been trash talking me for a while now okay it's honestly it's your thing not mine i'm just trying to get on just trying to get on with my life all right um you've got to get over me uh, is what is basically what what that is uh it's quite quite toxic um so there you go. <laughs> and then finally how what do you want people to take away from the character uh, Tim. That, what about them to take away? I think there's so much to take away that there's, I think there's a real joy in Gale. And I think there's also longing and sorrow and uh, hope. And there's so much, like he yearns to, to go back to Waterdeep and he yearns to be in his library with his tressim. And he wants all those things. He wants a simple existence at the end of the day yes to kind of be the greatest wizard of all time but there's also those elements of homeliness of just kind of wanting to be at uh be at ease and calm within your space in a world that's actually gone you know insane and crazy so i think there's a, i think actually there's a little bit of everybody in gale whether people want to admit it or not is that yearning for a better thing he doesn't particularly want want to fight he doesn't particularly want to do this he's thrust into it because it kind of well this is where we are and we have to you know it has to be done we have to do this um but all he wants to do is you know have a sherry read a book not talk about mistra because i'm over that <laughs> we don't need to do that 
and yeah, lead a quiet life in uh, in Waterdeep. Probably eat some cheese, sit on the veranda. You know. So I think yeah. that's. I think there's a little bit of that in all of us, whether we want to admit it or not. Do you think you want to do more games in the future, or do you think this will be it for you? Or what? What do you see? You open to I would, it? I would love to do more games. I yeah. would love to do more games. I mean, I know I've started quite high. It's all downhill from here, but It's all downhill from here now, basically. <laughs> but it's it's such an extraordinary, vast art area that I didn't really comprehend or kind of really knew existed within how it, this thing is put is put together. And now I just find it endlessly fascinating as to how it all, just the technical parts and how you can convey so much and you get to go do so much story because of all the different permutations of what can happen and how they can go i tell you what it reminds me of mm. you might be too young for this but do you remember the books of choose your own adventure yeah i do, in I the do know them yeah in the 90s there was a whole series of books that was choose your own adventure and there was a there was a like a series of dungeons and dragons based ones that came out and i remember reading these in school and i think the bit that hit for me so absolutely subconsciously was feeling like that again. I'm choosing my own adventure in this and then feeling upset if it doesn't really go the way you do. So you kind of do a couple of pages back and then you go off in a different direction. And that I think I find it's like a modern version. Well, it is obviously it's like the most hyper modern version of that that you can get. And so, yeah, I'd be well up for, for more. Did you know much about D and D dungeons and dragons or did you have to be only Piped in I, about I, it. Or I, knew, I knew, I knew of it. I watched, yeah. obviously, watched Stranger Things. I watched the cartoon religiously as a kid growing up, which I think was like late eighties, early nineties. Um, I watched that all the time, and I remember one in particular episode, which for some reason I recorded and then just kept on. You know, you kind of put your videotapes back in, and that would always be the one that came up, which was one called The Eye of the Beholder. Um, <laughs> and I remember watching wow. that a, a lot of this kind of weird ball creature with one eye with lots of tendrils. And it used to kind of slightly scare me as a kid, but I was ah, fascinated by it. Yeah. But I was still kind of, oh, okay, yeah, I like this. I don't really understand it. Amazing. And it was one of those cartoons on those particular kind of Saturday mornings that seemed to never end. Just, you just kind of just endless, endless, endless amounts of episodes of like, okay, here we go. More, more of this. So I knew of it. I didn't know how to play it. I still don't know how to play it as a board game or what goes into it or any of that. But I get that what I kind of vaguely understand yeah. the world that it sits in. Um, thank you for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. Is there anything you wanted to say to the fans that have tuned in today? Um, thank you for your, for continuing to play and to kind of, you know, put Gale in your party. Yes, I know he's easy to die at times. And yes, you should pull him out of that rock and not cut his arm off, as people have told me. But <laughs> it's been... <laughs> a real unbelievable journey to get to this point. And now the reception has been overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming as to how it's been received and how it's kind of taken with people. So uh, I, I guess I just want to say thank you. And I hope it brings many, many more hours of joy. Yeah. And you did a phenomenal job, man. So well, congratulations. You. And you've got uh, Instagram, Twitter, Cameo, mm -hmm. what am I missing? Yeah. Nothing, that's it. <laughs> that's the yeah. lot. You've done my, my full compliment and I thank you. <laughs> and I'll leave those in the description and make sure to follow Tim on there. And 
before I let you go, Tim, can can Gail say something to Dan to wrap this one? Oh, up? absolutely. Okay. Uh, how about um, you've been listening to Dan Allen resisting the dark urge, talking to the greatest wizard this side of well anywhere, available for weddings, children's parties, and world-ending apocalypses. <laughs> Just turn it on like that. There you go. Just like that. Uh, thank you, Tim. We appreciate your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, mate.